Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Ed Iruma. I am KeyBank's Internet uh, and e-commerce analyst. Uh, welcome to my Peloton, actually, or at least my Zoom background today. I figured we might as well have a little bit of fun since we're not all together in San Francisco like we normally would be. I'm really excited about this next conversation. Um, Peloton has been, in our opinion, one of the most compelling growth opportunities, both pre-COVID and certainly in this new environment. Uh, more importantly, uh, Jill and I have known each other for, I think, 14 years, something like that. We were former colleagues before. And it's been amazing to watch uh, you and the team grow this amazing business. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ed. Uh, always love to speak to you and, of course, uh, the KeyBank family. So thanks for uh, for having us. So, so I guess first, Jill, um, to kind of drill in, you know, the, the question that we've gotten kind of most frequently as of late is around manufacturing strategy. Um, I, I guess just to step back, could you kind of dimensionalize how you think about the mix of in-house uh, versus ODM, uh, and specifically, if you could talk a little bit about Shinji. Of course. Um, so, as you know, in the past, we haven't broken out our mix of our own production um, versus production that we uh, that we leverage from uh, third parties. Um, we do leverage and dual source. Um, for both uh, bike um, and tread, so that is that is important to know that we try to de-risk that supply chain. Um, with the capacity at Shinji, though, and Precor, which is not yet closed, um, we are significantly increasing, however, our own capacity. And, of course, um, this is to have more control over our own destiny. Um, but I will say third-party manufacturing will be critical for us, and that's not going to change. But certainly, um, you know, Shinji, when it's up and running, we've talked about uh, it producing up to one and a half million connected fitness products per year. Uh, we're starting first with bike, but we're hopeful Shinji will be uh, a producer of our lower-priced tread um, in the months to come as well. So it's obviously adding ample capacity for us. Um, Precore, um, which is exciting. Um, we do have a, a lot of potential uh, with Precore to really advance us and fast track our ability uh, to domestically produce our products. And um, while you know we don't currently have a ramp schedule for that, we have planned by the end of this calendar year to begin producing our products at Precore. Um, most importantly, they have the facilities and certainly the teams um, that have deep manufacturing expertise to help us with our domestic production ambitions. Um, so we're super excited about it. But I, I just leave you with this. We remain convinced of our long-term potential and plan to continue to rapidly grow for many, many years to come. And we know that that requires a very uh, large uh, supply chain, both abroad with 3PLs, with our own manufacturing, as well as domestically. Um, so, I mean, I guess to put it simply, to sell millions of products a year, we need to make millions of products a year, and that's our ambition. You know, I know it's still early innings, but have you been surprised at the number of customers that have upgraded from bike to bike plus? You can actually see the bike plus in my background. And do you think this kind of changes, you know, I, I would say that if we go back to some of the initial framework, you know, people really thought hardware might have been one and done, and, and maybe there's a, a kind of reoccurring or at least more episodic hardware purchase stream. So we've been really pleased with this 
success of, of Bike Plus. Um, and we're not surprised uh, by the number of upgrades of our existing members from the original Bike to Bike Plus. Um, but do keep in mind, many of the new features that we launched on Bike Plus were really based on feedback from our very loyal um, but vocal member base. Um, so, again, it's not surprising that, that people wanted um, to see the features that we launched with the Bike Plus and, and the success of that. One of the exciting things, um, I think, as you personally know, is that Bike Plus allows us to really open up the world of floor-based content, whether that's bike boot camp or you go from a bike ride, you swivel your screen, which is a new feature on Bike Plus, to enjoy perhaps a yoga class and then a stretching class. So we're super excited about that because obviously we're really excited for people to take advantage of all the fitness verticals that we offer. Um, and so our our goal, though, isn't really to have a replacement cycle for our products. What we hope is that these products last for years and years and years because ultimately what we are focused on is driving long-term value of that subscriber base and um, we want those products to last. I, I would note our logistics footprint is sort of a hidden competitive advantage here because that really affords us the ability to service those products so we can keep our members riding and running. So the hope is that these products work for, you know, a decade or more. Um, and what we hope is maybe members will adopt multiple products over time, um, not necessarily upgrade their existing products. As you know, we use software and content to dramatically change the experience from week to week. And so that's really the driver of keeping that that product that you've bought fresh and new um, and upgraded over time. So uh, the one thing I would caveat all of this with is that our tablets are likely to have um, a slightly shorter lifespan, call it, you know, four plus years, may, maybe a little bit more. Um, but that's really just based on the software updates and the, the fast pace of um, technology advances and touchscreens. Um, but that might be something that needs um, a replacement, you know, on a more regular cadence. So um, can we click down a little bit um, on, I guess, what you're now calling, you know, tread um, in the UK? I know I had the opportunity to go to one of your studios here in New York and run on it, and it was amazing. Um, what's your experience been as far as it? Are they normally new to Peloton? Are they existing bike owners? And then that's I think it's a great, yeah, that's a great yeah, question. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and, and then as you think about tread broadly, do you, do you think there's a halo that you then kind of get interested in, in, in kind of tread plus as well? Yeah, I, I, I mean, first of all, the, the products are very, very different, right? The first of all, the form factor of the new tread that we've already launched in the UK and Canada. Um, and obviously coming in the next couple of months in the U.S., um, the form factor is much smaller. It's lighter weight. Um, it, it's, it's a slightly smaller running surface, but it's an incredible uh, tread product. Tread Plus is a slat belt technology, and it's a much heavier piece of equipment. You do need more space. You need more head clearance. Um, and so... Um, and it's a more expensive product, but we think one of the best values in fitness when you compare it to other slot belt treads. Um, in terms of, of mix, it's been really 
uh, first of all, terrific to see the response in the UK and now Canada um, with with our new tread. And the, re the reception and reviews have, have been phenomenal. Um, in terms of early sales, and it's still very early, um, but as expected in the UK, interestingly, it is a rich mix of our current bike owners who have purchased uh, the tread, uh, you know, call it two-thirds of sales are going to existing members, but it's not different from what we saw with respect to Tread Plus in the U.S., where initially um, when we started taking uh, pre-orders on that product, it was about 80% of existing members, um, but we weren't broadly marketing the Tread Plus product in the U.S., whereas in the U.K. and Canada, we can afford um, given the capacity and supply that we have of treads um, to to market it. So it's not surprising it's a bit lower off the bat. Um, but what we expect over time and what we saw with tread is it's now like, you know, 30 to 40 percent of new buyers are existing members in, in the U.S. And so that percentage has obviously um, come down a, a lot over time. Um, one point to note in Canada we actually see the opposite happening, um, which which is which is pretty interesting. It has been in showrooms for for longer, and so we are um, the majority of our treads that are being sold in Canada are to new members. Um, but suffice to say, we believe both Tread and Tread Plus over time are going to be incredibly additive to our sub base. Great to hear, and I look forward to getting uh, one for myself. You know, we, we did a, a group ride to kick off the conference earlier, and it reminded me kind of this idea that, you know, you were early in a leader in gamification, in social networking component of fitness. I guess as you think about your roadmap, how important is this uh, for long-term success? And do you think this makes Peloton a stickier service? And then as a follow-up, I know you launched a beta on sessions, you're doing scheduled class. How do you think about innovation uh, in this social network component? Yeah, we, we have hundreds of features that, that we have on roadmap that we want to roll out over time. And we, we love, um, adding new features because it just gives us so many different levers to drive engagement. Um, obviously it's great. It starts with great hardware and great classes and content, but software and ultimately how software can help bring the community together, um, is huge for us. And, and obviously, um, sessions is a great example of hopefully taking what is a massive leaderboard now with the four plus million members that are on the platform um, and making it a little bit more personal, a little bit more intimate, so you don't feel like you're writing on a leaderboard with 30, 40, 50,000 people. Um, the goal, as you know, is to make that platform, um, you know, increment, uh, incrementally better every time. Um, but I do think our software and community advantage is a hugely underestimated piece of the Peloton advantage. Um, and the fact that we're so focused, we have teams of software engineers whose sole focus is, um, and obviously with member input as well, um, to build um, more and more software features to make our platform um, that much more uh, engaging over time. And you point out sessions and scheduling are great examples of recent innovations, but so, so many more in the works. Um, and, you know, with respect to the community, um, we see enormous potential to make that platform more personalized 
And, you know, I, I think more than any other fitness company in the world, our biggest desire is to increase engagement over time with our platform so that people get more and more value for that $39 a month uh, membership from Peloton. So we were uh, Googling late one night and we saw some news reports about a potential rollout in Australia. You know, I, I imagine you're not going to announce a country launch here today, but just how do you think about your longer term international strategy? And we've received the question frequently uh, from investors on whether you have a China opportunity and kind of what would the challenges be in, in kind of executing against that? Yeah, so so we think international is a massive opportunity, but it's something that, you know, because of our vertically integrated strategy and the fact that we're already in the largest four fitness markets in the world, we, we have to um, go at the right pace. Um, so you can expect us to uh, further international uh, internationally expand maybe one to two markets a year. Um, and again, I, I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention what enormous potential we still have in our existing markets, um, notwithstanding the fact that we are still very early innings in the U.S. We've just barely scratched the surface in the U.K., Germany, and Canada. And when you look at those four markets that we're in today, that's half of the world's gym membership. So we really wanted to tackle the biggest markets first. Um, and, of course, to, to select new markets, we're obviously using lots of data around fitness spend, fitness participation, um, you know, what, what we can leverage out of our content library um, to, to really drive um, our selection process going forward of those new international markets. Of course, Australia is certainly of interest, but we have nothing uh, specifically to announce today. Um, and, you know, eventually we want to get um, to Asia, but it's not in the short to medium term. We, we know China is a massive market for fitness, and um, we have to think very long and hard about how we do that, whether it's through partnerships. Um, given that we are a media company, it's not, you know, something where we can just import our model from the U.S. or from our, our other international markets directly into Asia today. You know, um, another question we've gotten from investors a lot surrounds kind of your your fitness personalities. Um, you know, we know that you've had incredibly low turnover of your key fitness personalities. Can you talk about how you keep them engaged and, and kind of how you keep them on Peloton versus having them move to competitive platforms? Yeah, well, I, I would start by saying the, the culture at Peloton um, is one that, you know, extends into – obviously, our, our growing instructor base. Um, we want to be the best place in the world to work, and that extends into that instructor base specifically. Um, we, we've been able to attract a world-class team. Um, many have been with us for years and years since our very early days. And as you know, what we have, have done is assembled essentially a cast of instructors. We, we want um, to appeal to the broad interests of our member base, and, and we've been able to do that. Um, in terms of the give and take, we have multi-year agreements with them, um, and they are well compensated in cash and Peloton equity. Um, we also allow our instructors um, to do things outside of Peloton as long as it's not a conflict. Ali Love is a commentator for the New York Jets. 
Um, you've got Emma, who is a model for Under Armour. So, um, you know, they are able to pursue other things. But I like to think of it as really a symbiotic relationship. We obviously love having these incredible instructors on our platform, but there's also no other platform in the world at this juncture where they have the type of audience that they can have uh, like they have on the Peloton platform. You know, kind of on this topic of programming, um, particularly in the back half of 2020, you guys launched an impressive amount of artist series collaborations. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the development of these um, different um, product or programmatic offerings. And then can you also talk about um, if this changes the margin profile of the subscription business? So music is the critical key component to to our content platform, in, in my opinion, obviously in addition to our world-class instructors. Um, and it's why we actually have a dedicated team that is constantly looking for ways to highlight um, music in a really original way for our members. What's interesting is that more and more artists are coming to us directly, seeking to integrate with our platform, um, which, again, is, is an incredible uh, competitive advantage for us. So we will continue to explore unique and exclusive collaborations, um, but it does not change our outlook on our subscription margin. We believe over the next several years we will get north of a 70% subscription contribution margin, and um, everything we're doing um, in music is not changing that trajectory. You know, this is um, the Emerging Technology Summit, so we've been asking kind of more forward-looking questions um, really about, you know, technology, where technology is moving. I guess what emerging technologies and fitness do you have your eye on? I know we get a lot of questions about strength. Uh, and then can you talk maybe about potentially doing stuff in VR and AR? Yeah, so, so specifically just to address your question on strength, we know to get – people out of the gym permanently, we need to win in cardio, and we need to win in strength. And, you know, we believe with our better best strategy in both bike and tread, um, we are going to win in in home cardio. Um, in terms of strength, you're 100% correct. We are exploring every single type of technology uh, that is available uh, that we think potentially could enhance that member experience and strength, whether that's sensors, cameras, AI, AR, VR, right? All of these things are being actively explored uh, by our R&D teams. But um, our goal, again, is to make sure that we're providing that magic. When you get on the bike and you have that incredibly powerful integration of hardware, software, and um, and, and content, you know, we, we want to create something over time that is creating that magic in strength. Yeah, we did have the question from the audience about marketing and advertising. I know that you pulled back on that a little bit, uh, given some of the supply constraints. I guess just any kind of longer-term thoughts about the importance of marketing and advertising and, and when we should expect to see you uh, become louder kind of uh, in media? Yeah, so um, obviously since last March, I can't believe we're coming up on a year in, in I guess, in and out of lockdown. And um, since March of last year, we've been largely dark 
um, with media spend in the U.S. Obviously, we've continued to spend internationally, um, you know, but because we're still at the very early stages of building our brand there, it was important to stay top of mind. Um, and, and so our hope is, and of course this, this was announced, sorry, I, I know there's sirens in the background. Um, I can't do anything about that. Um, but, um, in, in terms of, of us getting back on air in a meaningful way, we knew we had to make the investment that we talked about on the last earnings call, um, to airship and expedite the shipping um, of, of bikes and treads into the U.S. specifically. Um, so, it, it, and, it, and it's really when you get those inventory levels in the right place that you can really, um, spend dollars in marketing. There's, there's a couple of things that I think are, um, really interesting for us, um, to continue that long-term growth algorithm. One is we have very low brand awareness on tread, right? We're kind of known as a bike company. And so, one of the things we're really excited to do as we increase marketing spend this quarter and next is really to to highlight the tread and really start to work on building product awareness in that category. The other thing is last September, I know everybody talks about Bike Plus, but another notable event that coincided with that was the reduction of the price of our original bike. And so we have a massive opportunity there to really market the $49 a month for 39 months bike um, when you finance. And so we're super excited. Um, you know, we, we've obviously leveraged organic growth for nearly a year now, um, but we know for the longer term, our number one priority is, is growing our connected fitness space and we have to get back on air um, and we think there's a lot of great stories to tell, whether that's lower price bike, the new tread, um, to further penetrate into our very, very large uh, market opportunity. We're running uh, close to uh, out of time, but I did want to ask one more question. Uh, some of you, you touched upon your last conference call, but um, your your digital only uh, fitness offering seems to be a bright spot. Obviously, you're in more homes now because of it. Can you talk about the role of the um, of that product, um, how successful you've been at converting someone who starts there into owning a connected fitness device, um, and then maybe just touch upon, you know, it's a very different competitive environment. If you've seen any impact from somebody's, uh, you know, very public entrance in this area. Well, the good news is is that you can see that we, we have had exceptional growth. Um, in our digital membership, which costs $12.99. Um, but of course, it's a, it's a very low barrier to entry product. Um, it, it also, um, tends, um, to have a higher churn because you're not uh, investing up front in a piece of equipment and then attaching a subscription to it. And so, um, you know, as a category, um, you know, we're, we're, it's still just as a standalone business. Um, you know, it, to your point, highly competitive, high churn, low barriers to entry. Um, and, and so where we see the value today is, one, we're already producing all this incredible content for the benefit of our connected fitness membership base, right? They, they get to take yoga and stretching and meditation. So one of the, the great things is we get to leverage our content there. Um, but to your point, it's huge in lead gen 
um, in terms of our connected fitness products. Um, we've historically talked about 10% or so of our, uh, of, of our, uh, digital members converting into connected fitness. We're very pleased to say that that number keeps increasing. And what's so great about that is that, you know, given the growth in our absolute, uh, number of digital members, that gives us a, an even greater pool from which to convert into connected fitness. So it's, it's how we continue to look at that particular, um, product that we offer, but, you know, we're, I, I think with all the investments we're making um, in content verticals and creating the best content, um, you know, we're hopeful that that's a market that we can win in um, over time as well. Great. Well, with that, um, we're out of time, Jill. As always, it's great uh, sharing this time with you, and, and certainly we appreciate the insight of your business and, and are very thankful that you're helping keep all of us healthy during these crazy times. So look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Great. Thanks, you too, Ed. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thank you.